Welcome to Whitechapel Church Online. You're currently listening to preaching from our Sunday services. We believe that when the preaching happens, that collectively we're hearing the Word of God, and that God's Word has the power to change who we are. We also believe that God can meet you right where you're at, and that He has a Word specifically for you. We hope that you enjoy today's sermon, and we would love to have you at an in-person service. Head over to whitechapelchurch.com to get more info. Enjoy the sermon, and be blessed. I want to ask if you would uh, grab a Bible and turn with us over to Colossians chapter 4. So we've been uh, going through the book of Acts now for quite some time, uh, and asking the Lord, what is it He wants to say to us Uh, through our study of the book of Acts. And then as we were studying in the book of Acts, we actually ran across um, a guy, Paul was in um, Ephesus, and we ran across a guy named Epaphras. And uh, he's actually from the town that we're going to read about. He's a part of the Colossians church. And there uh, we decided, well, let's go over and let's take a look at the book of Colossians and what actually was birthed out of um, the book of, um, well, the Acts that, that they're actually living in there. Uh, but before we dive into the book of Colossians, I want to take you back to the beginning of Colossians chapter 1 when we began this a few weeks ago. And what we were reminded in this was that the Apostle Paul was writing this letter to correct some wrongs that were, was in the Colossian church. And Paul's purpose, which is a great purpose for us as well, uh, was spiritual growth. And as we began looking at the book of Acts, we actually came up with a definition, two parts, of what we believe spiritual growth for us would actually look like. We believe that spiritual growth means that we're growing to know how God wants us to live. And we see Paul writing about that over and over. How does he want us to live? We've got to grow into that. And then there is a purpose in that so that we seek to please him, God, in all things. And here Paul is saying, you've got to grow to know how God wants you to live. And then the byproduct of that is so that you can seek to please him in every area of your life. And then last week, as we looked at Colossians, um, the end of Colossians 1, we went back. And there we discovered an amazing verse that says, God holds all things together. In him, everything is actually held together. And so if the truth of the scripture that we've discovered here is that God holds all things together, the desire of this letter is for us to have spiritual growth, then what we have to do is discover who God is and then how is it that he wants us to apply the scriptures in our life. But I want to take you back to when I was a kid. Um, I had the privilege of knowing uh, a couple of my great-grandparents And um, my mom's mom's mom, my great-grandmother, we called her Nanny. And Nanny lived in a very, very, very small house. And she had collected a lot of things through the years. We always gathered at Nanny's house the day after Christmas because that was her birthday. And she wanted all of us to get together at her house. But it wasn't big enough for all of us to be inside the house at the same time. 
Uh, she would always crochet and make uh, little things for us. You probably remember, um, I don't know if you guys ever had these. Uh, you may have been a lot more sophisticated than we were. But I remember Nanny made these little dolls that were toilet paper holders that sat on the back of the toilet tank. Did, did, no, nobody was as sophisticated as we were and had those. But Nanny crocheted those, and every year, somebody got one of those. Uh, I've got a little monkey still to this day that Nanny crocheted for me. Uh, I've got a little Smurf that Nanny crocheted. She was a crocheter. And so we would get our gifts, and then the littlest of, of the family, we would get kicked out of the house because it wasn't big enough for all of us, and we would go outside and play. I always loved whenever I was able to go into my nanny's uh, kitchen, because when you walked into the kitchen, she had a huge um, uh, cabinet that went from, or a shelf that went from the floor all the way up. Um, it, to me, I don't know how high it was. It may have been just this high. But looking up as a kid, it always seemed like it went all the way up into the heavens. And she had every kind of salt shaker that you can imagine on this, uh, on this series of shelves. Did any of you ever have salt shakers like this? Yeah. Now, these are, I think, a little cleaner than the ones we had was, uh, because as a kid, uh, they, they turned yellow really, or I remember they turned yellow really fast. Um, or maybe you had some salt shakers. I remember uh, Nanny had these little, these little clear blue salt shakers. He had all kinds of different salt shakers. Um, and I remember thinking, man, because my nanny has dozens and dozens and dozens and dozens of salt shakers, salt must be the most amazing thing in the world. And then I remember when we would actually go out to restaurants, and I would get the little boring salt shaker, just the little clear salt shaker, and put a little bit on a napkin, and then wet my finger, and then get the taste of salt. I would always get in trouble uh, for eating the salt. And Paul actually addresses salt here in this passage of Scripture. Um, and it's, to me, just mind-boggling the way that Paul dives in uh, to how we're supposed to live for the sake of spiritual growth, and then he actually brings in the word salt in this. So take a look at Colossians. We're going to read in Colossians 4 and look at verse 2 and read just a few verses here. And I want you to catch the word salt here that Paul actually throws in. And, and I want you to actually catch it here so then we can grasp it. Colossians chapter 4, verse 2, and we're going to read through verse 6. Paul says, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Now, most of us would think whenever we read through the passage of Scripture, this is what we've got to do, right? We've got to devote ourselves to prayer. We've got to be watchful for what's taking place around us. And we have to be thankful for what the Lord has actually given to us. But as Paul is wrapping up this letter and he is addressing uh, the believers and has encouraged them through the first three chapters, he says there's something that you have to grasp that is vital for your spiritual growth so that you can make sure that you are grasping what God wants to do in your life. And Paul says, you have to devote yourselves to prayer so that you can be watchful and so that you can be thankful. So I want to pause for just a second, and I want to ask you a question. It's rhetorical. How much time do you devote to prayer? 
Above all things, Paul says here at the end of his letter, the first thing that he mentions is you have to devote yourself to prayer. If you have a smartphone, one of the things that you can do is pull out the smartphone and you can go into your settings and you can look at how much time you spend on each one of the apps on your smartphone. It's really a fearful thing to do. Because when you open this up, it says you spent X number of minutes uh, on Google. You spent X number of minutes uh, in social media. You spent X number, and then when, whenever you look at the totality of it, it gives you all of the time that you actually spent on your phone for that specific day, and then it'll chart it for you. And you'll see, oh man, I spent three hours on my phone. Or I spent two hours or whatever that time was on your phone. So now let's do a little comparison. If you were to open up your settings and you were to see the amount of time that you spent on your phone, let's compare that to living out the verse here in Colossians chapter 4 verse 2 where Paul says, devote yourself to prayer. This is not a condemnation moment for us. Because I promise you, I, I would be, I, some of you may be more spiritual than I am, but if I were to take out my phone and to compare it to my prayer life, I promise you, I would be just like a lot of us, that my prayer life is going to be a lot less time than I'm actually devoting to the things that I'm doing on my phone. But here is a real-time test for us. It's a gift that we can measure the amount of time that we're devoted to prayer to the amount of time that we're devoted to doing things on our smart devices. Now, I'm not saying that devices are bad. All I'm actually saying is we have to be a people that are devoted to prayer. Now, Thursday night, Pastor Ashley mentioned it a little earlier. I want to encourage you to be here in this room Thursday night as we are meeting with a group called Protect Young Eyes. And this group is going to give us the hazards of our smart devices. They're going to go through a lot of different apps that as parents and grandparents, we think, oh, that's not a bad app for my kid to put on my phone, for my kid to be able to put on their phone. And they're going to give us the dangers of how the enemy works inside of those apps so that we can be a people protecting the kids that God has entrusted to us. But back to Colossians chapter 4, verse 2. Paul says, be devoted to prayer. Now, prayer is not something that you have to uh, find a closet and block everything out, leave devices and everything out of the room, and you've just got to sit there for hour on hour upon hour, just you and God. Some of the most uh, amazing time that I've ever had in prayer has been actually sitting on a lawnmower and spending that time with the Lord wrestling through a lot of things. There's a lot of different ways and a lot of different places that you can pray. The charge for Paul here for each one of us is that we have to be a people that are devoted to prayer. He goes on in verse 3 and he says, And pray for us too that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. 
Be wise in the way you act towards outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. And catch verse 6. Let your conversation always be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. It blows my mind here that Paul just throws in the word salt here. He could have just said, now guard your conversation and let it be full of grace. For a people of grace, we would have understood what Paul was actually saying here. We would have said, okay, our conversation have got to be grace-filled conversations so that you know how to answer everyone. We would have understood what it meant for us to take grace into our conversations and let the grace that we've received from Jesus guide our conversations. But Paul doesn't just say that. He says, let your conversations be full of grace, seasoned with salt. So as I read this passage of Scripture a couple of weeks ago, I I went back, and and every person that's ever preached has preached on the significance of salt. Everybody has preached about salt and the significance of it, how it was actually used. But I began to think as I read this passage of Scripture about the history of salt, and I won't bore you with it. You can go, you can Google it, spend some time on your device, and um, go through and take a look at the significance of salt throughout past years. It, it'll blow your mind away in the variety of different ways that salt has been used. One of the things that I think is most amazing about salt is salt in the past has been used as a currency. Uh, The word salary that we actually use today in the English, the root of that goes back to the word salt, because salt was what people would often actually get paid for, actually actually get paid with, and then they would use the salt uh, whenever they would trade, whenever they would actually begin to buy things. There's an amazing history of salt, and you can go do the research, but here Paul is actually pointing out the significance and the power of salt. And what Paul is reminding us here is in conversations that have to be full of grace, they've got to come up and we have to raise the significance of those conversations. And I think what Paul is really saying us is don't have idle conversations. Have conversations that are full of grace. But in these conversations that are full of grace, they've got to be elevated and they've got to come from our time in prayer. Because Paul had talked about the significance of prayer. We've got to be people that are actually devoted for prayer. He tells us how that we should actually pray. And then he says, you have to be people that have conversations of grace seasoned with salt. Elevate those conversations. Give them some high significance. Make them worth something in your daily life. Jesus actually talked about salt as well. You remember what Jesus actually said in Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. Again, Jesus is saying, you are worth something. He's paving the way for the purpose for which God came in the flesh to the earth to actually die, to pay the price for us. And he's saying, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. Jesus said, salt has value. Paul is saying to us, 
Your conversations have to have that significant value that there are no idleness in the conversations, but yet it brings in the grace of God, which is the highest price that has ever been paid for absolutely any of us. So Paul says, let your conversation be full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. So Paul is speaking to the followers of Jesus here. And what Paul is, I think, saying, if we think through this and if we process what Paul's words are, what Paul is saying is there's a lot of conversation that takes place in the world that are not grace conversations. There's a lot of negativity in conversations. And what I think Paul is really distinguishing here is we can't be a part of those purposeless conversations that can be hurtful and painful. But instead, we've got to rise up above that. We've got to make our conversation actually have value and actually have purpose. And that value is rooted in the grace that God has given to each and every one of us. And that grace is connected to Jesus. And so if grace is connected to Jesus, what Paul is doing is taking the uh, power cord to our conversation and he's plugging it in to the grace, to the power of Jesus Christ. So then our conversations are full of the power of the grace of God. And church, now more than ever, in the history of where we, are, where we are as a country, we, just like salt, have to make certain that our conversations actually have value and have purpose. But in order for us to do that, that power cord of our conversation has to remain plugged into the grace of Jesus, and we have to disconnect it from the hurtful, messy conversations of the world. Unplug it. Disconnect it. So then we're not a part of that mess. Instead, we've got the purpose and the value of the grace. Conversations full of grace and seasoned with salt and connected to the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, I don't have to tell you that the conversations of the world are hurtful conversations. Because if we would be honest with ourselves, and if we were to go around this room this morning, every one of us could tell of conversations that we've been a part of, or we were excluded from, but we were hurt from those conversations. I, I don't have to tell you that. We've experienced it. But what Paul is calling us as grace people to do is don't intentionally be a part of those things. Now, every one of us in our humanness, despite being redeemed, cleansed by the power of God and filled with the Holy Spirit, we've hurt people with our conversations. But that's the power of grace, isn't it? Grace never runs out. And whenever we do step over the line and out of grace and into hurt, 
The beautiful thing is we can then ask for forgiveness in the conversation, ask for forgiveness of God, and step back into grace. But I think what Paul is really doing here is saying we have to be intentional about our conversations. And you know, one of the things that, I'll I'll confess to you, one of the things that I'm bad at is my mouth just starts sometimes, right? At some point, my brain actually catches up. A part of that is my nature is a fixer. I I like to fix things. I I like for things to be right. It, It is, I think, a holy calling that God has placed inside of me for things to actually be right. But sometimes in my quest for things to be right, and sometimes in my fixing nature, when my mouth starts without contemplating my words, I'm not living out Colossians chapter 4 verse 6, where Paul says, let your conversations be full of grace and seasoned with salt. And so what I try to do now is discipline myself and think and form my words so that I can have a conversation that is full of grace and seasoned with salt. Because every one of us have had food that has had no salt on it. I think that's why people hate the hospital. It's not the doctors and the pain. It's that they give you food that has no salt. And when you go in the hospital, everybody is on a low-sodium diet, low salt. No, bring me the salt shaker. When my grandmother, we were in Crystal River, my grandmother got sick and she went to the hospital. The one thing that she asked us to bring her was a salt shaker. She said, I can get through this, but please just bring me a salt shaker. We wouldn't do it. My dad eventually smuggled in a salt shaker for her because she needed some salt and she was used to having salt and she needed that. And here's the beautiful thing that I think Paul is reminding us is once you've had salt, you want more salt, right? And what Paul is saying is if your conversation is full of grace and seasoned with salt, what that does is it attracts people to the grace of Jesus Christ. Because salt is an attractor, it does not repel anything. It draws people. And if we will be intentional and form our words with grace, then those grace-filled conversations will actually bring people to the blood of Jesus Christ. You know what? In a refuge of grace, the way that God has called us, we have to be a people that are committed to grace-filled conversations. And so my charge for you this week is to write that down and begin to ask the Holy Spirit to help you have grace-filled conversations. Whenever tension arises in relationships, that's not an opportunity to resolve the tension. That's an opportunity to have conversations full of grace and seasoned with salt. Not for our glory, but so that grace and salt are drawing people deeper in relationship with Jesus Christ. So we have to ask ourselves, how is it that you can have a grace-filled conversation? What does that look like? And how is it possible? 
I want to go through several things here, and I'm going to go fast through these things. I'll put them all up on one slide at the end so that if you miss one, you can catch them all at the end. But I want to talk about how to have a grace-filled conversation. And the first is you have to stay away from vulgar or harsh words. Cursing. This is a personal uh, frustration of mine. That there are some words today that we used to say were curse words that we now just sprinkle them into our conversation. And you know what I believe? I believe that that's not grace-filled, seasoned-with-salt conversations. Because words have meaning, and words actually have purpose. And whenever we're using vulgar or harsh words, we are not living out what Paul is asking of the believers here in Colossians 4, to have grace-filled conversations that are seasoned with salt. But whenever we sprinkle these careless words into our conversation, it doesn't draw people to Jesus. It repels people from Jesus. Listen, I don't want to get to heaven and Jesus say, I love you and I died for you. And you strive so hard on earth. But I wish that you had had some more grace-filled salt conversations. Now, because of the blood of Jesus, I'm thankful. Because without the blood of Jesus, none of us, none of us would ever be able to obtain a conversation that's filled with grace and seasoned with salt. Because of the infilling of the Holy Spirit, this is actually possible for us. And so I am not asking you to step into a moment of shame right now. I am calling you up out of that, back into the heavenlies, so that you can live filled with the Holy Spirit, leading conversations full of grace and seasoned with salt. But whenever we are just throwing careless words around, that's not conversation filled with grace and seasoned with salt. Because words have purpose and words have meaning. We have to be careful with those. The next thing that I think is vital for us to be able to have a grace-filled conversation is we have to be encouraging and praise others regularly. Be encouraging and praise others regularly. This is the root, I believe, or this is the food that I believe helps the roots of grace grow deep in our life. Whenever we encourage other people, whenever we boost them on, in their faith. It's kind of like standing on the side of a race and cheering somebody on. And then those that are running, hearing the cheering, or those that are participating in the sport, hearing the cheering and the encouragement and saying, I can make it. I can go further in these conversations. I can, despite how I feel, keep pressing forward in that moment. We, as God's grace-filled uh, grace believers, have to be people that are encouragers in our conversations. And it's okay to correct something, but the correction has to lead to an encouragement. The correction does not only bring condemnation, but the correction actually has purpose, which is to bring the good and to bring the beautiful out of that. 
And that's what it means to be an encourager. That's what it means to be filled with grace, having grace-filled conversations that are also seasoned with salt. You can't just correct. You have to correct and bring the goodness of God out of that. Because all a correction is, is a condemnation. And listen, if you want condemnation, just start by going to www.google.com and let it pick something for you. Because there's condemnation in the world. And in grace-filled season with salt conversations, there is therefore, Scripture would say, no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. And so correction always brings the encouragement of the good outside of that. And so we have to be people that are encouraging and praising others regularly. The next thing is, I think you got to tell people you love them. you got to tell people you love them. And there's a lot of different ways that we can tell people that we actually love them. But we've got to think about this. We've got to be intentional about this. Because you know what happens in our society today? The society, our society today says, be selfish. Be selfish. Hoard everything all yourself. But how does that tell somebody that we love them? Jesus would say, no, give it away. Give it away so that in that conversation that's full of grace and seasoned with salt, they're then drawn to Jesus Christ. And the, uh, the object or the, the purpose of giving away is to say, I see you, I care for you, and I love you. We've got to tell people that we love them. Because you know what we've done in the church? We've allowed the enemy to get his foot into the door and to pervert brotherly love. We have to be people that are willing to take back what hell has stolen and tell people, I love you the way that Christ loved me. This is what it means to have conversations full of grace and seasoned with salt. To just say, I love you. I love you. There's so much power in those words. And people much, much, much smarter than I will ever be will tell us that whenever you hear those words, there's something that happens in the brain. There's just this amazing electrical charge in the brain. Whenever you hear the words, I love you, and then you actually experience that. You know why? Because God is love. And if God loved us, and gave us his grace, then we have to be a people that are loving other people and telling them and having grace-filled conversations with them. So I encourage you, I encourage you to tell people that you love them. The next, there's a purpose. You tell people of God's love for them. You know, the reason that I love some people is because God loves them. And, and it's true for every one of us, right? There's just some people, it's difficult to love. We all have that one uncle, right? Just difficult to love, that one, un that one uncle, right? It's true for every one of us. Or we all have that one person at work. I have to be careful because I work here. I'm kidding. I'm, no, there's not anybody here. Nobody here, I promise. 
But we all have that one person, right? There's one person that's just hard to love. But do you know why you can love that person? Because God loved you. Is it easy? Absolutely not. Is it the hardest thing you'll ever do? Quite possibly. But this is what Paul is writing about. And whenever you remind somebody of God's love for them, then you can say, I love you because God loved me and he loves you. And you know what this does? It brings value to life. And you know what the enemy's doing? He's devaluing the lives of people. Why would the enemy do that? Because Jesus died for those people. The greatest gift, grace, that could ever be given by God. He gave it to everybody. And so it doesn't matter about that one person. You've got to remind them of God's love as you are telling them of the love that you also have for them. This is a conversation full of grace and seasoned with salt. The, the fifth thing here is, if you need to correct or offer suggestions, do so with a gentle, grace-filled spirit. I got ahead of myself, and I talked about that just a little bit ago. But there's a gentleness that comes with grace that doesn't, uh, you can't find it anywhere outside of grace. And if we are moving forward with the gentleness of grace, the byproduct of that in correction is grace-filled conversation seasoned with salt that's drawing people into Jesus Christ. This is what we have to be committed to, is in those moments, find the purpose that can only be found in grace. And then the last, and I ended with this one intentionally, because I, I want you to see what conversations can do in repelling people. We, in uh, having grace-filled conversations that are seasoned with salt, we have to be a people that speak the truth in love and not be ashamed for speaking the truth. If the Bible speaks it, it's true. We do not get to define truth. God is true, and anything that is true has God connected to it in some way, shape, or form. He, then, is the one that defines truth. And whenever we are standing on truth, we can speak the truth in love. And the last part of that is we would never then gripe or complain. Do you know what was taking place where Paul was writing this letter to? There was a lot of bickering going on. There was a lot of complaining that was actually going on. There was some divisiveness within the body of believers who were claiming to be people that were filled with grace but weren't having grace-filled conversations. And Paul is saying, you've got to have conversations among yourself that are full of grace and are then seasoned with salt. Paul says, in devoting yourselves to prayer, this then is possible. And I think that that's why Paul started with prayer. Because whenever we're spending time in prayer with God, whenever we're committed to being with Him, then what I think happens is the griping and complaining evaporates from our conversations. And we walk out of our time with God filled with grace because we've been in the presence of truth of God Himself. So Paul says, let your conversation 
be full of grace and seasoned with salt so that you may know how to answer everyone. I'm going to put all six of these up on the screen for you. Before we leave, I want to encourage you to write these six things down. Take a photo of these things. Take them with you today. Come back and relive, as Paul had written this, relive these words of what it means to be devoted to prayer, what it means to have conversations that are full of grace and then are actually seasoned with salt. But I, I want to encourage you, I want to encourage you, if you're a part of this church and you would call Whitechapel your church home, we believe that God's called us to be a refuge of grace. And in a refuge of grace, we have to model for the world grace-filled conversations. Because the world is not going to give us grace-filled conversation. Where the enemy operates in the world, he's going to have grace-less conversations. And the intent of those conversations are to live out what Jesus said the enemy always does, to steal, to kill, and destroy. And as we move forward in a refuge of grace, it will be vital for all of us to be committed to conversations that are grace-filled and seasoned with salt. This is what then attracts people to Jesus Christ. This is where we find the goodness of God. This is where we find the beautiful relationship that God actually has for us. And it's in these moments that we celebrate the presence of God actually being with us because we are modeling grace-filled conversations in the chaos of the world. And we can't sing about the goodness of God. And we can't celebrate the grace of God when those things are missing from our conversations. So we've got to be committed to this. We've got to live it out. And then whenever it's absent, we have to call it out. And then we have to be committed to grace-filled conversations. But it starts, it starts in verse 2. When Paul said, be devoted to prayer. Thanks for joining us at Whitechapel Church Online. We pray that today's sermon blessed you and that you'll continue to join us as we lean into God's Word together. Until next time, have a great week.